Welcome to the Successful Male Podcast. My name is Ron Mahotra. I'm a wealth, success, mindset, and leadership coach and the founder of the Successful Male Movement. In the Successful Male Podcast, we bring inspiring achievers who will help you unlock your inner game changer that wants to play big. The Successful Male Podcast is a show where we highlight the accomplishments of men who are doing amazing things with their life. The show where we share the stories, ideas, and philosophies of highly successful men who went after their goals with courage. The show where we highlight those men who use their highest vision to bring value to others. And the show that seeks not only to motivate and inspire, but transform, so you too can think big, live bigger, and lead with your highest vision. Thanks for spending some time with me today. I hope you find this episode inspirational. Welcome to the Successful Mail Podcast. This is your host, Ron Milhotra. I'm extremely privileged to have a gentleman who has experienced an enormous amount of adversity. And I connected with him on LinkedIn. And um, I, you know, I'm always looking out for role models that uh, people out there that have gone through uh, severe challenges and setbacks, but have used those setbacks and challenges as a catalyst for positive change. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is one of those people. Marcus is an author. He is a TEDx speaker uh, and a mindset coach. And while preparing to deploy with the U.S. Army, he suffered a severe spinal injury that left him paralyzed. After dying on the operating table twice, the surgeon saved his life, but told him he would never walk again. Having no other option, he started doing some brutal, honest soul-searching looking for the lesson to be learned from his injury. Once he started seeing his adversity as a gift instead of a curse, something miraculous started to happen. He now speaks, writes, inspires, and teaches others to actualize their full potential, to achieve their personal definition of success. Welcome to the podcast, Marcus. How are you? I'm phenomenal, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Ron. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, you look like an amazingly fit man. I, I've, you've sent me a, a picture for your um, bio and uh, I look at that and I go, hmm, I can't really see any spinal injuries there. So you've obviously <laughs> recovered from it. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, where you're at now. What are you doing with yourself? Right now, I've, as you said, I'm, I'm an author and I'm a speaker. So I'm, I've just finished my book. It was just released. My book's called The Gift of Adversity. Uh, the same name as my TEDx talk, The Gift of Adversity. I'm doing uh, a lot more speaking now, and I'm doing some additional writing like we were saying before, and then I'm also coaching. So that, that keeps me pretty busy right now. How did you find your gift? I mean, how did you know that that's what you wanted to do? It's interesting. Um, I think so much of us, whenever we first begin, when we're younger, when we're growing up, we have these ideas and then sometimes we allow other people to convince us of other things to become priorities that may not have been what we actually wanted to do initially. And um, after my injury, I, I realized that a lot of the things that I wanted before that I thought were priorities were actually things. That, so when I got in that situation, it really gave me a chance to reflect, to see what I really wanted as opposed to what I thought that I wanted or you know, maybe this material gratification or maybe this status idea, there's a lot more to it than just 
having the material aspects or having other people think that you're um, somebody that's respectable in a social capacity. So Marcus, why, why do you think it takes an adversity for so many people to realize that they're on the wrong path? Adversity is many things, but if you look at it, it's actually the ultimate form of accountability. And what it does is it actually makes us look at things and see what's actually truly important. For me, for example, um, when I was in the military, deployment was always the, the primary objective. So everything that I was doing was leading up to deploying. So every drink of water, every bite of food, every exercise that you did was leading you up to, to be able to survive when you deploy and to make sure the man next to you is going to survive as well. So that's a, a big form of accountability. They say you don't know what you got till it's gone, but the reality is we usually know what we have, but we just assume that we will always have it. So whether that be a physical ability, whether that be parents, family, a spouse, or a good friend, we assume that that won't change. And when that adversity hits us, whatever the case may be, that's whenever we start realizing, wow, maybe I was taking this for granted. Maybe I'm not actualizing the potential that I could in this area. And for me, that's what adversity really did. It was a big slap in the face and a kick in the ass that made me look at myself and say, you know, you're, you've been wasting time or you're currently wasting time. And it doesn't allow you the opportunity to waste time if you really take it seriously. You know, um, I talk a lot about character. You know, I talk about how character is built. And it, it typically requires resilience. It requires challenges to build character. And I find that most people change not because of inspiration. They change because of desperation. Something's usually gone wrong. Is it necessary for human beings to experience pain for them to change? Or, or why is it that so many of us will wait till something goes wrong before we decide to change things? It's the nature of the human creature, right? The, the reality, for better or for worse, is that pain and discomfort are generally the best teachers because they, they are the things that force us to actually overcome and adapt. So we understand that people are either driven by the desire for pleasure or to avoid pain. And oftentimes in that adversity, again, is the thing that actually forces us to understand what we're capable of there are reservoirs of potential within us that we never touch on because we are never spurred forward into those areas. And as you said, pain, discomfort, those are the things that actually make us look within ourselves. So whether it be the classic hero's journey, wherever he goes on to uh, some sort of conquest or whether it be a person who's, you know, struck by cancer or am I in like with me or with an injury, those are the things that actually force us to discover ourselves adversity is what actually helps us see what we're made of. And we are only as strong as the adversity that we overcome. But now you get out there and you talk to people. And when you get out there, you talk to people, you inspire them to do what they should be doing. But in many cases, they haven't experienced pain. So how do you, how do you get out there and encourage people to do things before it's too late? What is, your, what is the core message that you're trying to spread? In my TEDx talk, there are two big things that I'm trying to talk about, and I talk about those in the book as well. The first one is that we are a lot stronger than we give ourselves credit for. The second thing is that living in society the way it is, I mean, look at you and I right now with modern technology. You know, we're in literally different time zones, different days. 
So we have a lot of luxuries that we wouldn't have had, you know, thousands of years ago. And again, we take those things for granted. We take these, these things that we, we have every day that are miracles for granted. What I try to talk to people about is understanding adversity as, and as some, basically it's inevitable. We're never going to be able to avoid it. And even if they're not going through adversity, adversity currently, they have to understand this mindset because if they wait until it actually hits them, they usually will not be able to have the perspective to see it as something to help them get stronger in the long run. As you say, um, I've had people that tell me, you know, I've been through adversity, but not like you have. It's not a competition. It, it is not. It's adversity is relative. So whether it be a person who's a single mom that's trying to raise a child on her own, whether it be a person who's unemployed that's in between jobs, whatever that adversity is, look at it as an opportunity to try to get better, to try to get stronger. So I try to tell people, whatever your adversity is that you're face, facing currently, whether it be, what I try to give them is a, a scale of adversity, so to speak. So for some people, if they're going through depression, for example, just getting out of bed may be a, a huge victory for them. So when they look at what they've gone through that day, that's one of the things they, they, they've overcome, that adversity. When they start giving themselves a little bit of credit for the things that they've overcome, as opposed to trying to tell themselves, well, I haven't been through this huge trauma or I haven't done all these things. Once we start looking at what is relative to us and then trying to overcome that, that begets the catalyst, that begets that pattern of doing it over and over again. And that's what allows them to get stronger and create momentum so that when they do face something that is truly challenging, they have the wherewithal to, to go through that and to get stronger in the, in the process. You know what I love about you? Um, as I listen to you, I can sense so much empathy in your voice. Typically what happens is people that have gone through adversity and been able to overcome that adversity because they've been able to overcome it, in many cases, they lose the empathy for people. And I have to admit, sometimes, because I've gone through adversity, I've gone through my own set of challenges in my life, and it's been tough. And sometimes I look at people and I go, you know what? No time for excuses. Come on, get up and do what you have to do. And then I reflect and I go, was I, did I not have empathy for that person? So you have overcome these challenges. Not everybody does it in the way you do, right? Not everyone has these severe challenges and gets up and goes, I'm going to use this as a foundation for my future success, not just for myself, but for others. I'm going to inspire others. So many people are defeated by those challenges. How did you find that space where not only did you use that as a foundation for growth for yourself and others, but you also do it with empathy? How did you do that? Because that is challenging for a lot of motivational and inspirational speakers. It, it really is. And that, that's a great point. It's sort of the dirty little secret that people don't really talk about. When I'm coaching somebody or when I'm talking to somebody, there, there is a point where you have to call them on it and you have to say, listen, I'm, I'm listening to you and everything you're saying is correct, but what I'm hearing right now are excuses. Or you know that they can get more out of themselves. So that is a very you know, individual to individual dynamic that is created. Having said all that, I'm empathetic because using the, I'm very happy that people see me as a person who's inspirational and motivational. But the truth is whenever I was injured like that, whenever I was, whenever I was paralyzed, 
I wasn't trying to be inspirational. I wasn't trying to be motivational. I was scared to death. I was desperate. And I mentioned in my talk and in my book that I would have taken my own life had I been physically able to do so because I was in such a negative place. I was very depressed. I did not want to continue on. Now, obviously, in hindsight, I'm very happy that I did not do that. But at that point, I was so down and desperate that I didn't know what else to do. And in martial arts, they have a, a saying, you know, it's, I don't win, I let my opponent lose. So if I have an opponent who's much stronger than I am and they're pushing into me, me pushing back into them is futile. I, I'm not going to be able to stop this person. It's almost like spitting into the ocean. But if I can understand that I can blend with this energy that they're giving me, and now perhaps I can redirect it. Now perhaps I can push them a different direction or maybe throw them or hit them with a punch or use a weapon on them. That's what I have to do. And that's what I mean when I said, when I started seeing my adversity as a gift instead of a curse, that's what I had to do. I had to say, there's a reason that this is happening to me for better or for worse. And I may not like it, but there has to be a lesson that I'm missing. What am I overlooking? What am I acting like I don't know? The thing that I acted like I didn't know was that I need to be grateful. I need to be empathetic. And in that place, I could not find anything to be grateful for. I, I knew I should be grateful to be alive, but I, I didn't feel like I was living. I was existing. I was just breathing in oxygen and pushing out carbon dioxide. I wasn't doing anything. I focused on myself that entire time, and I couldn't find anything. Then eventually, I realized that, that empathy, looking out for somebody else, thinking, well, if this had happened when I was deployed, for example, it would have gotten other people possibly killed. It may have gotten a helicopter shot down. It may have gotten other guys hurt. So when I started looking outside myself and looking and saying, you know what, other people weren't put in danger because of what happened to me, then, okay, I am grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that. And that was the, the first stone that I could use to build a wall. And that wall is what actually created that, that empathy and that ability to help other people understand that it's, it is hard. You know, if you've fallen down, when you get back up, you understand what the person that's still on the ground feels like. And that's why I try to pick as many people up as I can. Um, again, I, I, I keep them accountable and I keep them honest. But I understand that empathy is the beginning of all those things. Without it, everything else that we do is essentially hollow or superficial at best. If I just yell at you, well, just do it. That doesn't help you. I need to tell you the specifics of why. We need to figure out why you're at where you are right now before we can get any better. And so much of the old-fashioned motivational messages, or even now you see a lot of the stuff on Instagram, it's about hustle, it's about fighting back. The paradox with you is you've had this tough background, right? Serving in the armed forces, you've had your personal setbacks, yet it appears that your, your primary stance is not to fight things, it's to embrace things almost. I find that, I find that it's, it's like, it's, it's paradoxical. It's almost like you're this tough guy and the assumption that most people would make is that in your training, you would have been taught to fight back, yet what I hear in your message, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're almost embracing challenges. You, you, you are not fighting back. You're embracing what has happened to you. And your message revolves around embracing these things because these things that we consider to be bad things that happen to us. 
it appears that what you're suggesting, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that they're not really bad things. Is that, is that, am I getting to the core of what you, yeah? Mm. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. The, and, and martial arts, I've, been, I've done martial arts since I was 11. I've done many, many different martial arts. I'm 45 now. And every martial art has a, a philosophy sort of built within them. And the classical ideas from Chinese philosophy, you know, the yin-yang, this give and take, good and bad, dark, dark and light. These are the things that, that create balance. And I had all that training before the, the military. Having said that, I did fight it really, really hard. I was paralyzed for three months, told I would never walk, told I would never be able to use my hands again. So for those three months, I really, really had to have the mentality that this is what I had, and this is what I have to work within these confines. What am I going to do with it? So I was very angry for the first few months. When I was able to actually shift my mind and say, you know what? There has to be something to be, to be learned here. So, you know, in martial arts, they say there are no enemies, there are only teachers. There are no setbacks, there are only opportunities. And it's easy to say that, but when you had to put it in, into practice is when it's different. But when I genuinely started looking at, again, the, the positive things that had happened, the positive things that from my injury, a week later, um, the finger on my left hand started moving. So there, nothing else had changed other than my mindset at that point. So as far as I can tell, as far as I can experience, at least in my experience, that attitude of being grateful and that attitude of accepting what this is, whether you call it you know, classic stoicism or Taoism, you know, there are things that I can't control. I can't control the weather, but I can't prepare for it. I can't bring a jacket. I can't wear you know, something to make me prepared for that environment. And that's where I was at. I was, everything outside of me was out of my control. So I controlled what I could. And in that case, it was my mindset, my attitude. Marcus, you know, a lot of men are conditioned to um, be tough, be macho. We are told to, um, you know, we, 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 we're given the impression that to express yourself or to be uh, emotionally aware is um, somehow not masculine, that, uh, you know, um, we're being soft, right? Now, a guy like you, I would have expected you to talk about persistence and resilience and fighting back and hustle. I didn't hear any of that language. I'm, hear, I'm hear, hearing all of this heart-centric language. And it's, um, you know, and I mean, is it, why is it that men are being raised in this sort of culture where we are being told to tough it out and we're so disconnected with ourselves? And yet, you know, you being a really great role model, masculine, you know, served in the armed forces, you have found this way I'm guessing your training wasn't like this because it couldn't have been. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that. Yeah. So you would have had that, you would have been conditioned in that hardcore environment, but yet you have found a space for yourself where you have maintained uh, this uh, beautiful emotional energy and you feel you, you come across as so connected within yourself. But what about those that might be thinking, oh, Marcus has gone a bit soft, you know? <laughs> yeah and and that's 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 very possible that uh people will be of that opinion the, the false bravado of today's society is a lot of people that they don't feel secure in the first place if you look at even the term like alpha for example if you look at an uh you know a lion an alpha male 
when a young lion goes towards him and he like goes towards the females, that older lion doesn't even really look at him. He's like laying down sort of amused by just the idea of that because he doesn't want to waste his energy. Now, if it comes to a point where he needs to do something, he gets up, he takes care of it, then he goes and lays down again. He doesn't have to jump up and down and tell everybody, hey, I'm the alpha. It's obvious by his actions. It's obvious by his poise, the way he carries himself. An alpha is a person who protects you. So you don't have to go out and try to tell everybody in the room with your chest bowed out, hey, I hustle. I love the grind. Well, I'm glad you do, and that's fine. But that's not what I'm trying to do. We were talking earlier about those, those 27 components, right? If you look at the classical Renaissance men, what could they do? They could read poetry. They could kick your ass if they had to fight. If you look at Budo, if you look at Bushido, if you look at the Japanese samurai, tea ceremonies all day, but yet they would still have a burial ceremony before they would leave and they would go into battle. They, they were multifaceted components of all these men. And that's what makes us as men complete just having one or two dimensions where it's like, I'm this guy that's trying to impress this person or I'm this guy that's being you know, hyper aggressive, that doesn't help anything. There's gonna be a time when we realize that there's gonna be somebody else that may be even more aggressive or maybe even more adversarial. So what do you do then? Do you try to raise it up or not? You may not be able to get there. So you have to have these additional areas in which you can get better and be more in tune with yourself you know, Musashi said that there are many, many paths to the top of the mountain. So I don't have to take this one path. If there's something that obstructs me, I can go around it. And that's why we have to have all these components that make us full individuals. The thing that makes me a great warrior may not make me a great father. The thing that makes me a great father may not make me a great son. All these things we have to have. And without those things, we are sorely lacking and in, in a lot of ways, you know, inadequate in those areas. So I try to, the martial arts has helped me a tremendous amount. The philosophy has helped me a tremendous amount. I was in chiropractic school before I was injured. So that holistic mentality of the body healing itself, once I remove the, the thing that's actually obstructing it, all those things kind of come into play. And when I was in the military, it was very, you know, go, go, go. And, you know, you're getting ready to fight. But even within that, I could see the, the gentleman that had actually deployed multiple times those guys all had this calmness about them because they, while they knew that there was going to be a lot of chaos, they were able to be the eye within that storm. And that's what I try to do now. And I try to instill that in others with my speaking and my teaching and everything. That wisdom just oozes out of you. I wish I could have, uh, that, that piece that you just said, that you don't need to be a warrior when you're being a father, that, that we have to play these different roles that we have to play. But so many men, including myself, were conditioned to feel that a part of being masculine is to fight for things. But you're right, the alpha, the real alpha, exercises maturity and judgment and maybe picks their battles rather than feeling like they need to get out there and make a lot of noise. And just in the way you presented that, your power comes across. I mean, you are really soft-spoken. You, you have, but the depth, you, you have found your place. It's very evident, uh, the way you speak. You found your place. And um, what does it take, though? I mean, does it always take adversity to get to wisdom? Or can wisdom be achieved by self-education and self-awareness? 
both of those routes are are very viable. It, it depends on the person. It depends on the maturity level. It depends on their life experience. Um, you know, I tried to start reading Marcus Aurelius's Meditations at the age of thirteen, and between Thou Shall and it's it, it, all these different jargons, I couldn't understand anything he was saying. But I was trying to understand it to the best of my ability. Lots of times with all these things, it doesn't happen in one fell swoop. It usually happens after layers upon layers of it soaking into us. Unfortunately, what happens is some sort of adversity is usually the most pressing issue. You know, like I say in my speech, it, you know, adversity doesn't give you an opportunity. It doesn't give you a choice. Our adversity offers you no other choice. And when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. What I try to instill in people is I try to give them the lessons that I had to learn and relearn without having to go through what I've gone through. Unfortunately, like you say, usually it's some sort of adversity that forces us to do that. So what I'm trying to do is give them little pieces of it and, and make it resonate to them wherever they are. You know, go meet them where they are at that point. So if I have a person, uh, for example, you have a, a person who's just out of college and they want to, you know, they're on, they have an entrepreneurial spirit and they want to hustle, they want to make things happen. They want it to happen right now. They don't understand that it takes a long time. It takes a lot of committed effort. It takes a lot of honesty, self-honesty, self-knowledge to get where they need to go. It doesn't happen overnight. And if it does, you're usually doing it in a short-term manner. And then if you are successful, you haven't granted that, you haven't earned that wisdom to understand what to do with this money or this position yet. And then I find that they usually kind of fall back down to where they were. So I'm trying to give these, you know, anybody that's listening to us a little bit of an insight to the opportunity that they, they have right now, which is to take whatever they're facing, whatever it looks like that is stopping them and look at the lesson to be learned from it. What is it trying to point out? Um, if you and I are watching a boxing match, for example, it's easy for us to see when somebody's dropping their hand in the ring, right? They throw the jab, they drop the other hand, and they're leaving themselves open. The reason we can see that is because we are not the one that's in the ring. We are not the one with the adrenaline, with the fear, with the desire, with the anger going through them. What I try to do is I try to give people that perspective from outside the ring, as it were, so that they can apply it to whatever they're grappling with currently. And... Unfortunately, like we've been alluding to, adversity is the thing that forces us to get to that point and it forces us to look at things. And it can either stunt your growth or it can cause you to grow a lot. And usually it will slow you down before it allows you to actually grow. But by having that mindset now and understanding it, again, you can embrace it when it occurs if you have that perspective, if you can look at it from that high up lens. But if you don't, you'll just be very, very angry and very, very bitter. And that's what I see with a lot of people that are going through. There's something that's going on here in the States. Um, we've all heard of midlife crises, right? But I've, I'm running into a lot of people that are experiencing a quarter-life crisis where they've been told their entire lives to find their passion. They find what they think is a passion. And then when they get out, they're trying to find a job and they can't find it. And it's because they have only gone down one avenue like you and I have talked about before where they're just trying to do this one thing and they're not trying to develop these other ideas within themselves to get them these other attributes that can make them 
more productive or more educated or more beneficial in whatever field that they're trying to go into. So again, that in and of itself, being out of school, you've got a $50,000 in debt and now you can't get a job. That's adversity, my friend. And that's why a lot of them are kind of going through that quarter life crisis now. Wow. Uh, Anthony Robbins talks about this thing called the breakdown before the breakthrough. So the breakdowns are obviously a, such a bad thing. Um, you talk about soul searching, right? So um, when people, wh- where do you find your inspiration and strength from? Because the soul searching part, the self-reflection part is not easy. We're too busy to even sit down and reflect on what we want, what's going on, and what we want to, what kind of legacy we want to leave. Can you, would you mind sharing when you did, how do you do the soul searching? How did you get to this level of wisdom uh, that most people struggle to get to? The, the reality was, you know, when I was paralyzed for that long, I, I couldn't move my hands. I couldn't move my feet. I couldn't do anything. I was just laying in the bed. They would prop me up and they would turn on whatever was on Netflix. Um, so I, I didn't have the luxury of surfing the net or being on a smartphone or texting people or DMing people. And after about a week and a half of them bringing me in and giving me pain medications and having me watch whatever mindless pap was on the TV, I finally told them, I said, just, just turn the lights off and leave me alone. That's when I had to go down to brass tacks and realize where I, what I really wanted to do. Uh, I realized that I wasted a lot of time because I expected that I would always have time. I wasted a lot of opportunity because I assumed that there would always be other opportunities. So in that deep soul searching, I realized ironically what I wanted to do, which was what I'm doing currently. And I, I look back in hindsight and realize that's what I wanted to do as well. But, and I, I, don't, I don't blame anybody because, for example, our parents always tell us, okay, you know, if your father has a bachelor's degree, then in his mind, if you get a master's degree or a doctorate, that means you have more potential to make money. So education is a big thing. But in today's society, that is not necessarily the only route to get where you want to go. I said all that to say this. Going through what I went through really made me understand what was important and what wasn't important. So, again, making money didn't really matter at that point because all the money in the world wasn't going to help me walk again. Um, A lot of people assume that that's what's going to make them happy. Um, You're familiar with the hedonic or the hedonistic treadmill, I'd imagine where we're always looking for that next thing to make us happy. And almost like a child with a new toy, we get it. And then once we have it, we no longer want it. We want the next thing. I realized that I had done that with so many of the things in my life. That's what I, I really grappled with. And once I, and here's the other little truth that a lot of people don't think about. Once I recovered and I, I still have permanent nerve damage in my hands and my feet. So I'm, you know, I'm better, but I'm not 100%, but at least I can walk and at least I can move. So I'm very grateful for all those things. But the dirty little secret is that I didn't, I could have easily, once I got out of the bed, I could have easily just acted like it didn't happen and put my fingers on my ears and go, la, 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 la. I'm just going to move forward with my life. But what I try to do now is that happened five years ago. And what I'm trying to do now is keep myself grounded and keep myself in that mindset of, you know what? I could be in that bed again or remember how I felt in that bed. So if I ever feel myself slacking, if I ever feel that I'm not doing what I need to do, now granted I give myself enough time to 
you know, self-care and I, I recover and, and all those things. But there's also that fine line where I realize that we have to push ourselves. So that's what I try to do is I try to keep myself close to that, that adversity. So whether it be pushing myself in a workout or whether it be, uh, for example, twice a week I fast. I just drink water. Um, one, because there's a lot of research that says that that's good for us, but also because it's mental. It's a mental strength and it keeps me resilient in that capacity. So our self-discipline is like a muscle, right? If we don't exercise it, it doesn't get any better. So by doing that, if I allow myself those kind of opportunities to, to grow, I find that it bleeds over into all other aspects of my life. Yeah, and, and um, it's amazing because that's what, I, you know, when, I, when we started the interview and I said to you, wow, it doesn't look like you had a spine injury. I, it probably came out the wrong way. But what I was basically, I was alluding to the fact that, you know, there are people that have had, uh, you know, they've, they're just the, sometimes the smallest adversity breaks people. And here you are, you've had this massive challenge and you've built yourself back up again. And that was the point that I was trying to make. And I, after I said it, I thought, geez, I probably didn't come out the wrong what, right way. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> but I was, in, I was really fascinated by the fact that you have rebuilt yourself in every way, emotionally, mentally, physically. And uh, your book, I just want to quickly talk about your book. I love the title of the book, uh, The Gift of Adversity, Overcoming Paralysis and Pain to Find Purpose. Is the book out Yes, the book is out. It, it just came out at the, on the 31st, actually, October 31st on Halloween here in the States. And you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it on Kindle on Amazon as well. So, yeah, so I'm just going to repeat the title of the book, The Gift of Adversity, Overcoming Paralysis and Pain to Find Purpose by Marcus Aurelius Anderson. And I'll spell Aurelius because not everyone's familiar with Marcus Aurelius. It's A-U-R-E-L. I-U-S, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. And your TEDx talk, what is the title of your TEDx talk? TEDx talk is the same thing. It's the gift of adversity. The gift of adversity. And if, and if people want to look you up, they want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? They can do the way you did. They can find me on LinkedIn at Marcus Aurelius Anderson. They can find me at MarcusAureliusAnderson.com. I'm on that same handle at Instagram, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Um, Facebook, I have a Facebook page. I'm on Twitter as well. And I, uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. If you want to send me a message or you know, send me an email or what have you, I, I'd welcome your, your questions and your thoughts. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that interview. You know, we talk about authenticity. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to experience it. I completely experienced it with you. You were being all of you and you were being completely authentic. And as I observe this, I, I, I feel like it must be an amazing place to be where you are, where you found your purpose, you found your peace, you know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Uh, so much wisdom that you have acquired, so much maturity that you have acquired. And to me, this is what redefining success is about. To me, you have just demonstrated that being a successful male is about getting to that point. Because you can have everything externally in your world, but internally, if you're disconnected, you still can't feel that sense of fulfillment. And this is not tangible, but this is something you can sense. I, I sit here and I go, I, I feel wonderful in your presence, hearing you talk about what you've gone through. And I can't pinpoint exactly what it is, but I, can, I say, well, wow, the depth, the substance is so evident 
that people in your presence will be feeling who you are. Congratulations for getting to this point, Marcus. And uh, I'm privileged that you agreed to being um, interviewed on this podcast. Um, it, it, I'd love to do a feature on you at some stage uh, for the Successful Mail magazine. Um, but uh, I appreciate your time and I appreciate you so willingly uh, sharing uh, what you've gone through and some of your wisdom with our audience. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored and humbled to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity. I want to give as much as I can to, to all your viewers and all your listenership. And I, I want them to, to win. I want them to succeed. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Thank you for doing what you're doing, Marcus. Thank you.